Hey folks, this is part two of two with Dr. Nick answering your listener questions. Some of them relate to COVID and some of them relate to customer service and COVID and even more of them relate to his episode and some follow-up questions that you listeners had. If you haven't listened to part one yet, go back and listen. Some of your questions will get answered there and the rest of them are going to be answered now. Oh, hi, you're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky few that got out and all of the good, bad, and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney, and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. So on that note, Harold in the UK sent us an email, and this is such a quintessential UK email. He, he, his, one of his questions was, why did Trump survive? Not how, just why. (laughs) I died. So for Harold, why do you think Trump survived? Uh, You know, um, because uh, he's he's the most amazing. He has the most amazing immune system that ever was hit by COVID. (laughs) Answer this for real, Dr. Nick. Answer this. I don't I don't. I honestly, you know, it's you can't. You can say how a whole group's going to do, mm. but you can't say how any individual's going to do. I, so I, you know. Well, I thought uh, it was an economic, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought some of it was proof of an economic disparity because I read a doctor's response who was at the VA when he was there who stated he got the best of everything immediately. Your insurance companies won't approve the things he had access to until you are ready to die. And then we can start the same treatments on you that he got from Jump Street. And do you think, is that... Do you think that that's real? It's it, there's probably some of that in in our city where I practice. People are pretty loose with the stir, the decadron, and the rebdesimir, sure. and you know the convalescent plasma, which we've kind of learned doesn't do much. And there's some other anti monoclonal antibodies that are given that have not yet been really proven useful. He got. The decadron, he got the rebdesimir, he got some experimental antibody, which I don't think is doing much. Uh, he probably got it. He probably was able to jump the line with that. When you have a community, you have to um, be careful about your resources. And so he may have, I don't know how busy they were at the time, um, you know, it, how many how many doses of the those medicines they had to give. They might have had to ration them more. Another thing I've had a front row seat to in this job is institutional racism, which is a real thing. You know, I mean, it's a, there is a disproportionate number of black people who've been sick from this. Come on, Nick, say it again. Yep. But you know, it's not because the virus is racist or any of the people caring for people at the hospitals are racist. It's because the institutions. Exactly. Run by humans. Are racist. So humans running them are the pre-existing conditions that make you more susceptible to this virus: diabetes, obesity, asthma. These are things you get when you're not so well cared for. You don't take as good care of yourself. You know, I when I was um, I remember when we were setting up our practice, we were trying to decide where we're going to spend our energy in the city. And we kind of had a vague idea where we already work, but we were going to kind of tone it down to a, 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 a tight catchment area. And um, this is the only time in my entire career I felt like Dr. Evil and some kind of a uh, 
you know, movie. We, we, we went to this meeting with the company we're working with. And again, the purpose of this was to figure out where the need was. This is so unrelated was, to COVID. This is you setting up your practice yeah, of medicine. This okay. was years ago. Okay. But it speaks to the issue. We go to this restaurant and they rented out. It was a slow night, but they rented out the entire back room of this restaurant so we could have it to ourselves. Uh, had a white tablecloth pinned to a wall and had a projector. And we looked at the city of St. Louis, divided up by zip code um, with a heat map applied to it by the severity of chronic kidney disease. Chronic kidney disease is something you get when you have pre-existing conditions like diabetes, hypertension, tobacco, obesity. When you're, when you're not well, you know, these are things we know how to treat. We know how to treat hypertension. We know how to treat diabetes. Obesity is a little more difficult. It comes with poor food choices, which might be learned or might be what you have available to you. These uh, pre-existing conditions are what drives kidney disease. People who are not, who do not take very good care of themselves and have these conditions get these conditions. So it, it is a disease of the disenfranchised. And in our city, the zip codes that had all of the darkness to them uh, were the black communities, North City and North County. And it was almost, it, you know, the, the West County, uh, it was nearly white. It went from cream to white. And in North City and North County, it's like Del Mar is our street that divides black from white in St. Louis. A whole different conversation is uh, institutional wealth and housing and redlining and um, all that and, and protected covenants. And I'm not going to get into that today, but for those reasons, there's a street in every city, at least in the Midwest, that divides black from white. And this is the city, the street, and everything north of Del Mar is progressively hotter for chronic kidney disease. I was looking at a map of where the most disenfranchised people were who also happened to have all the chronic kidney disease. Well, my areas of the city were the ones that got hit hardest at first. Now, the people who get hit hardest are the ones who have no, uh, don't have a mask uh, policy. Uh, the second go around, the masks do work. They're not perfect, but they do work. And if you mandate mask use inside, people uh, don't get as infected. But the first go around, the you know the people who got hit hardest were the black people in our communities that I work. And um, they're the ones with these pre-existing conditions, mm. you know, and it, like, you know, it's everyone else has observed that law enforcement, although policemen themselves are not racist, law enforcement incentivizes enforcement in areas that are disproportionately black, you know, and, and that's what people tend to see. But I've seen it much more closer with the with their with this health condition that has come up this year. So. I, I, I got off the tangent on a tangent here a little bit. You were talking about Donald Trump. And yeah, so getting back to that question, maybe he got he was able to jump the line. I'm sure he did. Mm -hmm. But, you know, people who are um, and, and there are plenty of people who are turned away at the ER only to come back really sick. There are there is that that happens. There's a resource problem. And sure. also, if you don't have health insurance, Hello. You don't have as many opportunities. Hello. And, you know, for the for the poorest uh, who either don't have insurance or have Medicaid, they're they're not appealing to any health system 
Also, if you had a job that was lost, now you don't have health insurance. So, you know, it becomes another component of poverty, uh, health insurance, which I think is the argument. If there is an argument to be made for why you'd have a government uh, mandated insurance, it, it, it wouldn't be about a national debt problem. It would be uh, that it, it'd be another economic a redistributive thing you would do to help the poor, a safety net to help the poor, just like Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, that kind of a thing. That'd be the argument. It'd be to decrease the 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 widening gap in wealth in this country, you know. But fuck the poor, Dr. Nick. Nobody cares. I mean, who cares? <laughs> fuck them. It's, it's, it's all very good for business. Yep. <laughs> Um, well, we're keeping everybody happy on this comedy podcast. Hope everyone's enjoying. Okay. We're going to get to more fun questions because... Thanks, we'll do impressions. <laughs> okay. Linnea, or no, actually that question's kind of sad. I'm going to skip that one. We're going to skip that one. Anonymous in North Carolina, I don't know why they wanted to remain anonymous, but they did, said, I'm thinking of road tripping with my friends. Is this a terrible idea? Um, I think... A lot of people ask about travel. I, my personal opinion is that travel is fine as long as you obey the rules, which is wear a mask when you're indoors or you can't distance from other people. Make sure everyone else is wearing a mask or don't go there and um, wash your hands a lot. So if you're going to an airport, an airport is following the rules as well as any hospital, mask wearing, uh, their cleaning surfaces. It's uh, airport safe. Your problem traveling um, in an air through an airport is really going to be about the place you go, probably more than sitting next to someone in an airplane. That's interesting. Um, you know, I I think there's going to be people out there who disagree with that statement, but we work shoulder to shoulder in the hospital all the time. The number of people who have gotten sick at work has declined. It hasn't gone to zero, but it's declined significantly because of use of masks by everybody. And so I think these rules are just, you just apply these rules and you're fine. So on your traveling trip, as long as you're distancing from other people or when you're going into a place, you're wearing a mask at a place where everyone else is wearing a mask and you're washing your hands, you should be okay. And you just apply those on a day-to-day basis. So if you walk into a place and no one's wearing a mask, you walk right back out, you know. What about in the car, though? Because this question specifically was talking about driving from point A to point B. Do the, do Does everybody need to wear a mask in the car? Well, if it depends on whether they want to be in the same bubble. If they're not already, they're not already in the same bubble. These would be people coming because this is a, this person was like, we're going to all come. I just distilled the question down to just this, but they had explained, you know, we're coming from different parts of the country so we can see each other and we're just going to drive. I forget where they said they were going, but just say North Carolina to, I don't know, Florida, just say that's what it is. Would that be safe if they are not already in the same pod? Well, I mean, there's a number of ways you could, you could quarantine for you know, two weeks to prove that you don't have it and then come together. You could just trust the other person and see what happens. Um, if you want to stay uh, separated and not in the same bubble, you could wear a mask and, you know, maybe open the windows a little bit okay. and ventilate that car. They say in a space, whether it be in a room or a car, you want to kind of uh, ventilate it um, somewhere between three and nine times an hour um, oh, wow. to to make sure that the likelihood of getting something inside is less. So in a car where it's a tighter space, you might want to ventilate it more closer to the nine times an hour. 
So you may want to crack a window and turn up the air, but that, you know, so that's what all the, um, the, uh, cab drivers and the, uh, Uber Uber drivers are doing, you know, and, um, so you could do that. Uh, like, you know, there's there, the only way to guarantee you're safe is to just hide in a basement. Right. You know, unfortunately that's not a choice a lot of us have. So you have to move through this world with a set of rules. I think the simplest sense making rules are just wear a mask in place where other people's are wearing a mask and, and wash your hands. Okay. And if you can distance. Sarah from Minnesota asked a few questions that you've already answered, but she also said, are we ever going to be able to go out without a mask in, again ever? I think because like in the U or um, in, you know, some Eastern Asian countries there, you know, masks are sort of standard practice. I'm thinking specifically of China and I'm trying to think of where else I've seen it in Korea. The areas that didn't, this countries that didn't get hit nearly as hard in part had practice at this. So they, they know the, you know, they do this stuff already. I, I don't think um, I'll be surprised uh, moving forward in life when I see people wandering uh, around at the store with a mask on, you know, years from now, whatever, I guess normal uh, when people ask return, are we going to return to normal? You know, you could say, when are you going to be able to interact with other people without worrying about dying? Um, (laughs) Jesus. That's, that's one question. (laughs) The other question, I mean, I was like, you know, what do you want? What are you looking to get back to, you know, normal? I I always kind of laugh a little bit. Like, are you looking to go back to, financial instability, institutional racism, lying politicians, media entertainment, you know, like what, what was normal? Sure. I guess if it's, can you, do you want to be with, you know, close to other people without getting worried? I think once we have a number of the population inoculated, most studies reference a third or two thirds of the population, then you're probably safe. So you're the, the virus won't, leave the planet until everyone's vaccinated or a large number of people on the planet are vaccinated, but the, a community is probably safe if, you know, more than two thirds of the community is vaccinated. So, and the vaccine lasts longer than having been infected, which is why I'm not saying if you've been infected or vaccinated, you know, I, sure. I don't think the, having been infected changes much for you other than you get a, a little reprieve. Okay. David in New York, who was probably being funny, but I, you know, I've seen a version of this question a few times, but I'm going to filter it for the listeners and change it just a hair because I want you to be able to answer this and not feel uncomfortable too. Um, Not what he wrote, but what he implied. Is there a safe way to have a sexual encounter at this time if if this isn't a regular rotation? So basically, if you have a friend... Uh, yeah, if you have um, a, a circulation of Tinder friends that are seeing you naked, is there a safe way to do that during this time? I wish I could help tell them yes, but okay. yeah, I don't think so. Okay, so poor like, it is. We don't even have testing, right? I mean, right. we have. There are rapid tests that are so expensive and hard to get um, that only people who get them in St. Louis are the Cardinals players. There is. If you, most of us, when we think we're sick, we have to get the swab in the nose and wait five days. That's crazy. You know, what do you do in the five days? You just sit in, I mean, so even if you have a negative test, it's already tardy, you know, can't apply it to today. It's from a week ago, you know? Sure. So in theory, you should be getting tested every day and just have a rotation of like, oh, that test negative, negative, negative. Oh, found it. That was from five days ago or whatever. In theory. And it's not even a good test. It's like, you know, if from, from day four, 
maybe a day or two before you're symptomatic, the, the sensitivity of the test is like 40%. A day after you get symptoms, it's like 60%. It's still shit. Mm-hmm. We don't have any tests we use on a regular basis that's that poor a test. These tests are bad and they're late. So if someone just got tested and they have a positive test, that's a five-day-old test. So, And it, it wasn't a good test to begin with. So. So there's no sex with strangers, folks. Uh, you heard it here first. <laughs> Stop doing that, at least during COVID. Not yucking anyone's yum, but PSA. don't be dumb. <laughs> Kate, Kate um, says. It's, uh, I've made it effect. <laughs> this just came to mind. This isn't still on the list of questions, but what do you feel about kids going back to school? They've been really responsible. So I have a 9, 10, 11-year-old, all girls, and they've gone back to school. And what they've been doing is keeping their bu- the bubble size of each kid, not only are they all wearing masks and washing hands and distancing in the classrooms, but then they keep like one class to itself. So they're effectively a bubble. And um, those bubbles, if anyone in that bubble gets uh, symptoms or gets sick, then the, the rest of them stay home too. And they're behaving like we do every day at the hospital where I'm walking in. I, I, today I walked into three COVID patients rooms, you know, Um, So if they're masking and washing hands, the chances of them getting it anyway, if someone in their class had it is. So I think they've been very responsible from what I've observed. So it makes I I think it makes good sense, though, even even if it's spreading really bad in an area, the way the the school systems have uh, adapted, I think, from my observation, is great and they can stay open. You just have to be able to stay home at the drop of a hat, which is a problem for working people. Hello. Yeah. So, okay. So to try and sort of shift this a bit to customer service, personally, for me, these are questions I came up with. I wanted to know if patients have been nicer, meaner, not different. Like if you've noticed as this has continued to go on and on, and if so, like, how are you taking care of yourself? Because that must be getting increasingly more depleting if they're being shittier to you. The patients haven't been worse. Uh, you know, I think when, when they're sick with this, they're just kind of out of it. And this time around they're the outcomes are better because we're not in debating right up. So they're, it's a little bit more rewarding to take care of them. Ah, um, okay. And, you know, so that's, that's good. Uh, they still can stay sick for a very long time. And, and that, I think everyone's been a little bit more appreciative, actually, which is kind of nice. Oh, that is nice. Because <laughs> like, usually they just expected to not be sick and um, it, they were inconvenienced with their whatever, whether it be a, a, a office visit or a pneumonia or whatever. Uh, they'd they'd kind of take it out on the, uh, they'd, they'd kick the dog, so to speak, but sure. we were the dog, you know. Um, so yeah, people are a little bit more appreciative. What about their family members? Are they being shittier to you guys? Or I guess, cause they can't even be in the room. So I guess oh you don't even God, have to. It's so tough. They can't even be in the hospital most of the time for better or worse. We're not even seeing them. I'm talking to them, a few of them on the phone, but usually that's when we have to make tough decisions. And, uh, you know, so, you know, where we might have, um, disorder, someone who's, um, a family member who's kind of disruptive in the hospital or something. We don't have a lot of that this go around because they can't be there. So if they, if they do have a negative attitude, we're not seeing it as much. Um, That's good. That's actually good. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it comes, it's the other side of the coin though. You know, the, the other side of that coin is these people are sick as tar in the hospital alone and scared. And, uh, you know, so you're like, uh, you know, which one, which one's better? I don't know. 
you know, I yeah. could be selfish and say, well, now, <laughs> sure. but it's, it's, uh, you know, it's not about me when I show up. But how are you refueling then? How are you taking care of yourself to be able to handle all this? Well, you know, I actually, I kind of have a long answer to this question. I, I had a bit of a reason to work on my resiliency a few years ago. You know, when you're, you know, I, I can't speak for most, but like, you know, I had the goal of being a doctor and that was my goal. And so I did everything I did in, in, um, school, uh, was designed to get me to that goal. So English, I need an A. Badminton, I need an A. <laughs> if I, you know, like it didn't matter what class it was. If it was something I was going to need as a, you know, I thought like physiology or biology, I took it more seriously, but there was a lot of stuff. I just did what I had to, to get the grades. And then I had a lot of free time. I knew exactly what I needed. And then I knew when I was done with that, I could relax. And so I had a very easy time of college and, you know, in med school, uh, there were, I was constantly uh, feeling like I was a failure, but outside of that, we had your time off when you've passed your tests or whatever, you knew what your purpose was getting through residency, getting through fellowship. You, you had a goal and um, you kind of, they, they train you to kind of become this medicine robot. You know, uh, you're not supposed, you, you just kind of, you learn very quickly that no one cares when you're struggling. You just keep it to yourself, all that stuff, all the, all that negative stuff. Right. And then you just kind of coast along. Um, once I'm, I, once I, like a lot of people, once I became a doctor, I didn't have a solid North star anymore. So you're just kind of coasting along. And like a lot of other people, uh, who, um, don't have the, uh, exact focus on the horizon they're working toward. I had a, like something you might call like a breakdown in um, 2015 and 2016. It's like basically struggling with how medicine was different than the way I thought it should be, you know, when everyone's and, and uh, also struggling with, uh, you know, the, the usual fear that comes from, shame and comparison and disengagement and all that, you know, like just not being enough. You're feeling like mm. you have your complete so scarcity honest. of, uh, who you, who you are, if you're, you're, you're just not measuring up. And just also there was, when you think that things should be done one way and everyone's doing it a different way, it kind of feels like it's an attack. Oh you know? yeah. I'll give you an example, like hyponatremia is a condition where you have too much water in your body. Hang in there with me on that. <laughs> Wait, I've literally never heard of this, though. I'm so, I'm actually so, interested. All your other shit's so, boring. This is interesting. Go ahead. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, your, your body holds on to too much water for um, uh, several reasons. And the problem with that is the cells of your body swell like rice in the bottom of a bowl of water, which uh -huh. is a pro it isn't a problem for most of the cells of your body, except for your brain, which is inside a rigid skull. So you're, you start to develop with this problems with your cognition and it can get so severe. The swelling can get so severe that you can, it, your brain can shut down into seizures. And even with mild, I would have loved to do this study. They had a study where they're like, what about mild hyponatremia? What about a mild, too much water in the body where your blood is a little too dilute? What about that? So they decided to test people that have normal blood counts concentration to people that blood is a little dilute by doing the roadside alcohol testing, you know? Oh, sure. 
And, and just for kicks, because it made no sense at all otherwise, they threw in inebriated. This is all in college students. So they got a bunch of a third group of college students inebriated to do the cat. Ca- <laughs> that the means roadside. drunk. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah, drunk. So they had one control group of college students that had nothing. Another, they gave medicine and water to dilute their blood. And then another, they got tanked. <laughs> and the, the three groups, they did the roadside alcohol testing. Now, it's no, not a surprise that the alcohol, the, the people who got inebriated just were, were, their lines were all over the place. To get from point A to point B on the, the walk a straight line test, it, it was quite a bit longer. But the people who had their blood to be a little bit dilute were all over the place. Really? You know? So, yeah, and, and they, you ask them and they all thought they were fine, you know? So it, you know, they, they're, they're, you know, it, they were the ones who were likely to fall off a chair or down, have a tumble. But they thought they were okay. They thought they were fine Ooh. and they look fine and you'd see them in your office. They look fine and they're doing all the normal things. So anyway, these people come into the hospital and they're terribly hyponatremic. They're, they're way past the point where they should be seizing. Now, the scarier thing about this is when you, if you correct the concentration too fast, the middle of your brain will shrink and you will have permanent neurologic damage that is like locked in syndrome, which is like where nothing below your eyes work. Oh my God. And I've seen that. So it's, it's scary when you see, when they call you with someone, Hey, you know, Miss so-and-so has a really low sodium concentration too much water in her body and you need to fix it. And I'm thinking, holy shit, I better not fuck this up. And, you know, so like you get this and then you put in orders. One of the orders is for the nurses to call you every six hours with a lab. You'd like to be like John Wayne and be like, you know, hook him up to the hypertonic. He's doing doing an impression. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Not worry about it at all. I'd like to be a confident guy, confident in my ability, but you know, you're terrified. Yeah. And so you, not like John Wayne so much, you order labs to be drawn and you expect those to get called. And when they don't get called, you freak the fuck out. You know, you like, you know, you can ways you could shield yourself. You know, you got numbing and perfectionism and cruelty. You could have like a Tom Cruise, you know, scream at the set. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, I, I, I tend to get a little bit angry. I got a little bit of too much Irish in me. <laughs> Same. And um, <laughs> what happens when you do that is they tell you to go to counseling. <laughs> so back then, I, and, and this was happening in little ways and big ways, but there were a few biggies where I'm just like, all right, I got to fucking talk to somebody. You know, I, I can win at any argument if I choose to take it, but I can usually, if I'm not careful, leave everyone else who... I, I showed I was correct. I can leave them feeling worse. Scorched you know? earth. Yeah. And yeah. it's not, it, it doesn't help. It defeats me and sure. defeats everyone else, you know? So I had to work on my, this distortion of reality where everyone's out to get me and you know, no one gives a shit about me. So, you know, the listeners do work. Nick. <laughs> yeah. Going. Except for all the listeners who are tuning in. So, you know, I had to work on my worldview my emotional intelligence or mindfulness and my um, self-compassion. You know? Let me so, wait, let me reverse you before you finish the story though. So, so yeah. what this was related to, you had an incident where the nurses weren't giving you the labs in time and you had a strong reaction and that sort of set oh, this yeah. off. Well, like that, that was an example. I got you. Okay. Um, where, okay. you know, 
you, you know, and again, you'd love to just be like, just roll that fluid and like, but Duke, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and also someone could, someone could have permanent. I mean, I'm glad you give that many fucks, to be honest. I would want a doctor who was like living in the ass of the people, not doing what I needed them to do, to be frank. I mean, yeah, but you know, it's not necessary. And those yeah. are the kind of things I'd tell myself when everyone was like, uh, you know, recoiling, uh, you know, I'd be like, well, shit. You need someone here to monitor you people, you know, sure. and it, it just, it's, it's not necessary. So you, know? you had, so, so that, it, so enough of those incidents occur. And then you're like, I need to address this, my perception of reality because it's affecting how I'm pr- practicing medicine. Yeah. You know, and it's just, it was everything, you know, what are the incentives that doctors march to Hello. Um, money? Uh, you know, um, like I, I had several other, uh, kidney doctors in our area who were clearly uh, abusing. They were more concerned about numbers of patients they were seeing than caring for those patients because each patient came with a, a compensation and they were just racking up numbers, you know? So like you see all this and then you're, you, you, I was struggling with, you know, why can't I get these people in my office to show up? Why can't I get them? You know, it just, nothing was working. And, and when I felt um, vulnerable or shameful, instead of sitting with that, you shield yourself from it. Sure. And it's just a bad way of going. And it's not the same. It's the same. Like my daughters, when they were little, would run around the other side of the house before, and we'd freak the hell out. You know why we're afraid that they'll run into a car on the street on the other side of the house, you know, or you, it's I, all of us have to deal with this stuff in our own ways. It's the subject's different, but the, the problem, the human condition is the same, sure. you know? So Counseling is great. I would, I, I think all of us need a, a lot of it. No question. <laughs> no question. No one, um, no one is uh, leaving high school saying, I'm ready for everything the world has to offer. <laughs> and I had a great time. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. High school was great. Everything else is great. Um, you know, and um, the, the only thing is some people are really good at, you know, hiding it. So I got to a point where I had to either decide to fix this stuff or get the hot car and the young nurse girlfriend and sure. on the side. Sure. And, you know, all, blow you your know, whole the, life up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I read that there's the drugs there and well, all the other stuff. So, you know, the, with, with uh, worldview, you, you just had to kind of um, realize, you know, Brene Brown is, was my, um, way in through that understanding. I that love you, that. You're imperfect, but you're enough and worthy of love and belonging that you're capable of change and that uh, failure and challenges doesn't define you. It's not a test. It's an opportunity for improvement, which goes to grit and resiliency, you know? Yes. yes. And it teaches you that those understandings help you to become kind to others with whom you work or have a disagreement, you know, Agreed. And then self-compassion, you know, I, my, my medicine robot thing wasn't working. So you need to like, you know, actually take care of yourself. So that means you need sleep and, you know, you need to go sweat somewhere every day and, you know, that kind of stuff and, and set your boundaries. So, you know, I get home at night now, there's nothing, no such thing as work. The minute I walk through the door, setting those boundaries are important. And then just your emotional intelligence, uh, it turns out, is also important. They don't teach any of that in um, <laughs> school, school or life. It would have been nice instead of uh, whatever, God, what did we, you know, there, there was like so many classes that just were, uh, 
a waste of uh, time. Ethics I mean, and philosophy, big waste of time. Those two. Yeah, Replace it with how to balance a fucking calculus. checkbook. I mean, yeah, what, fuck all that. Who the fuck's using calculus? <laughs> um, you know, like Geometry. And, and that's in the, in high school and college. What, you know, what about grade school? You sure. know, I, I could have used a few less religion classes. Yeah, and, and a few more and mindfulness. A few more mindfulness. Yeah. You know, and, and one of the things that, uh, you know, you guys uh, do that's so important, is family is important, but the arts, I mean, they're so important. You know, I, I, on the way to work today, you know, I've, this is my, um, I don't know, my 16th day in a row or some shit. Oof. I can't remember. And, and it's, you know, Christmas weekend. And I was laughing my ass off listening to, I've already listened to all of your podcasts, Kate. Thank you. you you're obligated to say that. <laughs> listening to another, I was listening to one of Conan O'Brien's uh, podcasts with Amy Sedaris. And she was talking about something she did with her brother, David. They're both, those comedians are hilarious. Hilarious. You know? Yes. Um, and she said that if they're in an elevator, and it's like a long ride to the bottom of the elevator, you know, 18 floors or something together. She'll just casually as the doors shut in front of some stranger go, you know, David, you really should see your daughter more than you do. <laughs> and, and, and then, and then he'll, he'll fire back. Well, yeah, but you know, she's been sick and with all those tubes, it's really, and they're not letting them in the hospital. And they'll have this whole conversation, you know, and, you know, you need to hear, you need stuff to take your mind, music, um, you know, the arts, it's just so important for all of us doing this kind of work to have people like you who do the other kind of the work to, to help us remember what, what else there is in, in, you know, it's so important. And, you know, at, by doing all that, you figure out what your North star is. And so what, what can I do? And where's the need? And so I, I feel like I've been focused now for the last three or so years, um, started a new practice, have been slowly working on weeding out my garden and my work environment, uh, advocating for doctors and myself at Jeff City and then and, and, and with these hospital administrators. And it's not perfect, but it's a, I feel like my energy is being used. I'm not sitting in a corner screaming at the wall with a diaper full of... <laughs> shit anymore right <laughs> i mean so well i think that's very lovely and very 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 vulnerable vulnerable and very very honest and i think that that is the that is the it is nice to hear that someone in your position who really is sort of guiding the ship how you are also taking care of yourself is is fundamental and i think that i mean especially just jumping on when you said especially now getting mental health support is uh, just outrageously important i mean it always is but especially now so it's i'm glad to hear that you are taking care of yourself in that way and that yeah. it's it's not talking you out of being a sarcastic asshole like i like that you've you know balanced <laughs> that Okay, so I, I don't want to take all of your time. There's just a handful more questions. Um, right. So uh, where is it? Oh, well, this one's sad. Ugh, I don't want to ask this, but I, <laughs> I am curious. I'll, I'll, I'll make it. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll make it a laugh riot. Okay, here we go. We How many patients have you lost to COVID? <laughs> <laughs> but here we go. Wow! Wow! <laughs> And if you don't want to answer that, skip it. <laughs> you know, I, I honestly don't know. I'd say, you know, that the days where the sick patient comes in, they're crashing and 
we put them on dialysis and after two or three weeks they go with to withdraw those are kind of over so that's an upbeat answer yay they're still happening but um you know i only really got involved in the hospital when they're going into kidney failure and there's a lot of kidney doctors in this area for reasons i've already kind of mentioned so it's being kind of i'm not the only guy in the hospital for that so i have at any one time probably uh three or five patients in the hospitals sick with this and they're doing okay. Okay. You know? good. They're my patients that came in rather than me getting called to the guy who's dying in the ICU. You oh, know? well that's a nice change. Um, yeah. what's the kindest thing someone has like either a patient or a family member has done for you during this time. If you helped, you know, get them back to, as to use your words to the street. So if they didn't pass away from COVID, has anyone, you know, followed up with you and been like, you know, done something kind for you? Um, you know, I get the play. I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a, a role in medicine where I'm in the hospital and in the clinic. So I see people who you're thinking to yourself, this guy is never going to be, be right again. And, um, then months or years later, you're seeing them and they're living their life totally normally in the office, you know, and that's like the best, um, the best story I have for that has nothing to do with COVID is, a she was at the time in her mid thirties, she had type one diabetes from childhood and kidney failure. And it had gotten to the point where her diabetes was so brittle and her kidney disease, she just couldn't stick to dialysis and was uremic. Um, she was constantly throwing up. Ugh. She was out of it. Her, you look at her in her eye. She looked like someone who would look at you when they're just totally stoned, oh, you know, bless her. and just was not there. And she was finding a reason to be in the hospital more often than not. And she's 36, a young kid. So even, even a really sick 36 year old, isn't that sick? She was sick. And, you know, I, we had, um, I'd taken care of her at this point, probably for seven years. And, um, she just hadn't gotten a kidney transplant, um, was listed in two regions. We got her out of the hospital and before she had a chance to come back in three days later, she was called up to Chicago for a kidney pancreas transplant. I didn't hear from her for uh, about a week or two. And uh, I'm not thinking about every one of my patients every day. So, you know, I only really, they're on top of mind when they're not doing well or they're sitting in front of me in the office. And then someone called me and like, have you heard from uh, Catherine? I'm like, no, I haven't. Where? I don't know. We figure out she's a, she's getting her kidney transplant or she got it. Well, a few weeks later, she walks into the office. I was typing on the keyboard and all of a sudden someone, poof, puts down a stack of papers next to me. And I look over and it's her. She's in high heels and a black dress. She had probably been wanting to wear for a long time. And she had the posture of someone who was totally fine. She said, here's some paperwork from the transplant center. Thought you'd like that. And she left. And oh, bless her. The best, you know, like to see that, you know, so I have a few people who've recovered and they're in, in the, uh, the office and them just doing well is great, you know, mm. and, you know, around Christmas, every once in a while, someone will throw you a card. Um, those cards, even a little card that just says, Hey, thanks. If you know, no money inside, <laughs> just, <laughs> just, uh, just a card. It goes a long way. Yeah, you had mentioned that. I'm glad that that's a cool story. Okay. Well, to wrap this up, is there anything that you feel like people need to know or that you wish 
people knew during this COVID time on, you know, just anything that you're like, oh, I'm, you know, I wanted to say this and didn't. No, I mean, I think it's just the big picture is this is a, another one of life's challenges and you just got to take care of yourself and focus on what you can do for the people around you and not worry about everybody else. It's, uh, you know, yeah. it's, it, it will get through this and yeah, hopefully we won't have another one of these in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being back on. I know that everyone is going to feel reassured having heard you address all of this and um, just share about your own experience with it. And I think that it I, I'm glad that it puts sort of a face to the, the healthcare worker, I guess, I don't even know what you would call that entity. I know it's a profession, but like just the the entity that has been you guys at the front lines and all of us saying yeah. we should really care about you all. We really should listen. We should care. Um, I think the politics sort of derailed that a bit. So I'm, you know, it's nice to have a, a for the listeners to have a face to it. And okay, so how can people get in touch with you? They apparently were scared to ask you questions directly unless you got hit up by anyone. But is there a way for, you know, if people have more questions or do you want to be bothered or would you rather they? Um, if you want to, they know your email. Why yeah. don't you forward like uh, you can just bottle up all the questions and forward to me. And okay. then one afternoon I can reply. That would be awesome. Okay. Yeah. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Dr. Nicholas J. Mayer, doctor <laughs> of Dr. Fame, who is also a doctor. Well, we're going to drop checks now. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out here at Service from Hell, leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends to listen, because why haven't you done that already? It will help us reach more people that need to be schooled on the art of being kind, and will be catharsis for those of us still working in the industry. Remember, if you can't afford to tip, you can't afford to go out, so don't be garbage and be good to people. It's easier that way. Thanks again, Dr. Nick. Uh, this was a bonus episode, y'all. This is not our normal format, but go back and listen to his episode because it's way less depressing than this was. But this is still, we did our best, right? If you didn't get enough depressing uh, information this time around. <laughs> All right, everybody, tell your friends. That's going to be it. Thanks, Dr. Nick. Good night. You know better what my public wants to hear from. Oh, I'm going to vomit. <laughs> I got so many <laughs> questions, too. I was like, wow, people really, they loved, loved, loved your episode. It was very sweet. I got a lot of comments of people being like, it was great. And oh. I think it was um, for my mother, she was happy because you didn't really curse and I couldn't get away with as much cursing. So I think she was very happy. <laughs> uh, so this is a family. This is going to be a family episode. No, I damn see. it. No, <laughs> I refused. <laughs>